You are listening to the PYD Lab, the podcast for implementers and young leaders who want to examine innovative approaches to positive youth development and hear stories of young people leading change in their communities. This podcast is made possible by the support of the American people through the United States Agency for International Development, or USAID. The content and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of USAID or the United States government. Hey, it's Natasha, and you're in the PYD lab. According to the World Health Organization, female genital mutilation, known widely as FGM, is mostly carried out on young girls between infancy and adolescence, and occasionally on adult women. Data from 30 countries where FGM is practiced puts the number of girls and women alive today who have been subjected to the practice at at least 200 million. It's estimated that more than 3 million girls will be at risk of FGM this year. Today, Catherine Kimarin Mushin stops by the PYD lab. She's not only a survivor of FGM, she advocates for its eradication through her organization, AFI Africa. As we examine the implications of FGM in the lab today, she shares her own powerful story and how her project, Scars to Stars, is helping other survivors find their voice and feel seen. Catherine, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you join us today. Uh, Thank you so much. Female genital mutilation, FGM for short, is such a heavy topic and it's an important one. I feel that oftentimes, you know, topics involving women and girls and our bodies, those topics sometimes get shoved under the rug. They're considered taboo. I'm excited to have you on the show because I'm proud that I feel that here at the PYD lab, we've kind of created this safe space to talk about real issues, you know, that are affecting our youth and the implementers who are serving them. I also think it's really important for women to be the drivers of these conversations Yes, we need men as allies, but we should be in the driver's seat on on women issues. And so I'm so grateful to have you here as a woman who was leading this work where you live. You're a co-founder of AFI Africa. Can you tell us how and why you started the organization in 2007? I come from a village in Narok. Uh, Narok is part of Kenya. I'm a Maasai and uh, Maasais are one of the communities that are really practicing FGM. We are so deeply rooted into our culture. So I come from a community whereby in Kenya, we are the third in practicing FGM. We are at 78.9%. So I'm talking about out of 10 women, we have uh, around seven to eight girls who have already undergone the cut. Personally, um, I'm a survivor of FGM. I underwent the cut at the age of 12 years. By then, I didn't know exactly what it was. I mean, it is our culture for a girl to transition to womanhood. You have to go through the cut. So myself, my sister, we were forced into the act. I remember at that particular day, my elder brother was going through the circumcision. I mean, it's traditionally young men have to go through the cut once they clear their primary school. And I remember that day, my sister and I were told to go to town and shave our hair. And we just call it as not just the normal routine. I mean, for celebrating our brothers transitioning to being a man now. But then little did we know that we are also being part of the process. So at around three o'clock, we were woken up in the morning and we went through something. We call it medicalization. Uh, it's a current trend at the moment, but at that particular time, we didn't know what it was. So um, after that, that's when you realize our human rights, uh, our rights were 
violated by our parents, the people whom we really trusted. And from that moment, I took like a personal commitment that I will ensure no girl, any girl surrounding me will go through the cut. And by that, I started by rescuing my own sister, my last born sister, who, who is currently an advocate, but she was also to go through the cut. And my sister and I stood for her and she never went through the cut. And that is how we started Afia Africa. Uh, we started with five other young girls who also survived the cut. And we, and through the organization, we've been saving women and girls through advocacy, through uh, from undergoing the cut, uh, child marriage, and any other form of gender-based violence uh, related to that. So that's the reason as to why we started the organization. And we've been going strong to date. Even though it's ingrained in your particular culture, the day of supposing to receive the cut, you aren't prepped for it. Is that true? Is that what you were saying in terms of your own story? You didn't know it until it was time? One thing, we were not prepped for it. For one, uh, my father is, was a very educated person. He was a doctor by profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother was a learned. So, I mean, for community purpose, it was not right. And they knew it was not right. So they did it in hiding. Oh. So what they did, is they hide through my brother's circumcision, the celebrations. For us, we were taken through the cut at around 3 a.m. in the morning. So nobody knew oh. about it. Only my relatives and the people surrounding us. So it was so hidden. So it, nobody preps you. But traditionally, with the Maasai community, for other girls, us, we did medicalization. But now there's a traditional one. Right now, things have changed at the moment. But before, they used to put a very big celebration. The entire neighborhood, the entire village will know in village A, we have uh, girls who will be going through the cut. And they'll have very, very big celebration to celebrate the girls transitioning to womanhood. But right now, things are being done in hidden because it's against the law. So people are hiding. Yeah, yeah. I see. I I didn't realize that with the work that you're doing, obviously, it's super personal to you. And you talked about being able to save your sister from it. How is your family and your community embracing the work that you're doing right now? I'll say initially it wasn't an easy task because one for us, uh, for our community, women are perceived as, I mean, as children, basically. You're not allowed to make decisions. Back then for a woman to stand up and stand against something that is against the culture was so wrong. So before it was not so positive with everybody, but right now things are changing. We're seeing more women, even men are coming out championing against female genital mutilation. So right now it's it's not as hard as before. But I'll say with my family, it hasn't been easy, to Mm -hmm. be honest. My mom is so educated, but again, she's so rooted to the culture. Mm -hmm. So the moment uh, we decided that my sister will not go through the cut, my mom actually was not happy. Mm -hmm. And she's still persistent against it. My relatives at the same time, if you go to my village, FGM is still going on. And uh, they keep on telling me, you continue with your campaigns. But on the other side, we will continue cutting the girls and there's nothing you can do about it. So it's so hard, like you're trying to rescue other girls, but you're unable even to rescue those who are so close to you. So I'm getting um, a backlash from my relatives, but at the same time, I'm getting a positive energy from the community who have actually embraced the conversation of eliminating FGM. Mm. I can only imagine how tough that must be for you, you know, personally dealing with that and then, you know, doing the work of it every day. You talked a little bit about, you know, the percentage of people in your community that are still getting the cut, as you referred to it. 
And I will say, when you talked a little bit about it being illegal, and then it's still taking place in secret, sometimes law comes along to say, hey, this isn't right, even when the people in the culture aren't on board with it. But also the opposite end, right? Like people in culture are saying, this is not okay. It's not right. Even though law still might allow it to happen. And so where you live, which one do you see holding more weight in FGM, you know, when it comes to the conversation? Is it the culture or institutions or a mix of both? Because was FGM always against the law or is that something that came about in the last few years in your particular community? For us in uh, where I live, actually, I'll say the culture supersedes the laws and the institutions. The culture has been there. We are asked, where did FGM originate? All we'll be told is, my grandmother will tell me before she was born, it was still ongoing. And being a culture which is so deeply rooted, it still supersedes the institution. But at the same time, with the different institutions are currently doing is they're trying to bring on board the not uh, neglecting what the culture is or the tradition, but actually aligning those traditions with what the law says. Some of the things that uh, we have, like a body that is mandated with eliminating FGM at the national level, which is called the anti-FGM board. So what it does is before it comes up with any policies, with any acts, they make sure they go to the grassroots levels and have conversations with them the owners of these cultures and these traditions, they give opinions and suggestions on how things should be taken. Of course, the laws are strict because if you go against the law, that is it. So we are trying to make it as simple as easy so that we do not go against the culture. But what we are trying to do is to tell them they go away with the cultures that are harming the girls and stick with those that are good. And right now, I'll say it's, it's kind of going hand in hand at the moment. In order to, you know, make some of the changes that you want to see, I would imagine that you have to have a lot of conversations and advocacy work with leaders in your community. How do you tend to to shape those conversations in a way that their traditions still feel heard, but also that you're able to relay, you know, why you feel and many others that FGM shouldn't continue to take place? So initially, what we were doing is uh, we were only like going to the community level and actually creating awareness on the acts like FGM is against the law. So without giving the opportunity to have this conversation. So what we've embraced is something that you're calling like a non-judgmental open dialogues, whereby we are having conversations with all the community, let's say all the parties involved. So we are having conversations with women, girls, children, men and boys, the elders, religious leaders. So we have separate conversation. We have a sessions with the elders and they tell us exactly, and we allow them to own the conversation. We actually take them through. This is FGM, its effects, and the reason as to why uh, it shouldn't be practiced. And actually we even ask them why are they practicing it? And they will actually tell us they, they actually don't have a specific reason. They just found it being going on and that's why they're still practicing it. So with those conversations, like open conversation and allowing them to give us solutions, has given us a, a gateway. Like right now, we're seeing now religious leaders coming out strongly. Like in churches, they'll preach against FGM. Elders who are coming up out strongly, who are telling us, who are telling the community, those practicing FGM, they'll end up cursing them because they've come to realize that there is no benefits towards it. Because initially, you'll be told that if you get circumcised, girls will not go to school, develop um, health issues. And that's where people resulted to medicalization. But mm-hmm. still, we're seeing girls still going through. So we are using the human rights approach, like it's against the human rights. 
it's against the children's right. You have no right to, to do anything to the anatomy. So they've embraced the conversations and with the dialogues. And then after having con different conversations, we bring them together and they give a solution. So with that, we've seen them taking lead in this conversation rather than us taking lead. Uh, we're also doing like something we're calling like an alternative rite of passage. So we are introducing a new way of transitioning the child, the, the girls to womanhood. So doing what we are doing is we are taking them through a mentorship program for six months. Then after that, we bring them back to the community and they do like a celebration, one week workshop, whereby we invite their parents, we invite the communities just to come and listen to what the girls are saying and also them teaching them what our cultures are. Because honestly, our culture is beautiful. There's so many things mm -hmm. that we will not want to part away with. So they're being told the best side of the culture. And as much as you're transitioning to womanhood, there are things in the culture that you cannot uh, forgo. So we taught elders. And then during the graduation, they get blessings from the elders. So we see elders, their mothers, blessing the girls and allowing them now to transition to that. From Rather than going through the cut, now they transition to womanhood through that ceremony. So we've seen like taking different approaches and things are taking a different turn at the moment, as much as still it's being practiced, but not as it was before. Wow. And I love what you said about still celebrating the parts of the culture that is beautiful, that benefits everybody in the community and making sure to highlight those things that it's not, we're not here to totally change or, or take down the culture, but to change the things that no longer make sense. So I think that that's amazing. I want you to tell us about the Scars to Stars project because Youth Excel, which is a global program that empowers young people and youth orgs to use implementation research to strengthen development solutions. We actually partner with them often here at Youth Power and Youth Lead. They hosted their first grant competition and it focused on mental health and psychosocial support. And you're a winner of one of those grants. Could you tell us yeah. a little bit about your project and how it's going and your ultimate aim? So the Scars to Start project is a project that is focusing on FGM survivors and FGM campaigners. We realized that while we brought on board the campaigners, these campaigners are as well survivors as much as they are campaigners who are working closely in rescuing girls, in creating awareness, in having conversation with these girls. And at the end of the day, they, they go back to their homes without a place to share what they went through or rather just, just for self-care moments. So we decided to start mm. this project. So what you're meaning is from that scar that you went through, we want to propel you to be a star. Oftentimes, we've been creating awareness on issues to do with FGM. But one of the things we realize, as much as we have conversation with these girls, we realize they are kind of enclosed. They don't want to share their stories. We notice that most of the girls who went through the cut have never had an opportunity to have closure. So you find that, and what really captured me is that one of the leaders that I've known for quite a while in Narok, where I come from, is in her 50s at the, at the moment. And I remember during one of the speeches, she said that she's still in pain. In her 50s, she's in pain. Mm. What about that young girl who is actually at, at her 12, 13? Will she wait until 50 again for her to still feel the pain? And that's how we decided to start this. And some of the things that we've been able to do, and I'll say one of the major things, of course, we are doing our research at the moment, which is ongoing, and it's informing most of our programming. But again, we did our first co-creation emotional well-being training mm -hmm. uh, workshop where we brought on board 20 FGM survivors, but we also incorporated for a three-day training. And during this training, what we did was we didn't make it like the usual trainings that we normally go through. So mm -hmm. what we did, we introduced the services of a therapist. We introduced uh, yoga sessions. 
the training was all about, uh, we were calling it like sharing my story, like giving these girls a safe space to talk about what they went through. And during those three days, we realized that some of them, not only are they FGM survivors, some have been through rape, some have been through defilement, some are, are still going through defilement from their partners, from their relatives. So it's something that it was an opportunity for them to share their story and just creating that safe space and having a session with the therapist and just to overcome this the, the trauma. So I will not say that within the three days we were able to achieve what we wanted, mm -hmm. but it's an ongoing process because uh, we normally have Zoom meetings where the therapist will get in touch with the participant, have a one-on-one -on -one session. So we are working with them the journey as much as we are also healing. I mean, some of us, we never had the opportunity to even have a counseling session. So for us, mm -hmm. as much as we're taking them through this, we're also healing in the process and it's going on well. So. Our end goal is at the end of it all, we'll have one, we'll form a survivors network for FGM survivors mm -hmm. and whereby they will be able to stand firmly and mm -hmm. you've overcome it and you can as well share your story such that you can become impactful to somebody else. So that is our mm -hmm. end goal. And uh, by so doing, we'll be having an exhibition in September. We'll be sharing portraits of the FGM survivors and they will be sharing their stories and we want their stories to go globally. Our aim is mm. to have these survivors own their story and to change somebody else and to give also the other survivors move on with their lives, basically. Most of them are holding grudges towards their parents. Mm -hmm. And when you come to realize those parents didn't mean no harm to us. For, for right. them, they were doing the right thing because mm -hmm. of the society that, that is surrounding them. Wow. I really love the storytelling piece. I love the portrait exhibit. I love the idea that you're building this network of survivors where they, you know, could turn to and have one another. There's such a real power in storytelling, right? A real taking back of your agency when you're able to own and tell your own story rather than have somebody else tell it for you. That I think is just so powerful. How did you find the, your participants for this particular project? So what we did uh, before we started the project, uh, we did like an entry meeting for stakeholders. We selected particularly organizations that are dealing with survivors of FGM, rescue homes, different departments like the children's department, and we shared about the project and how we wanted to implement the new project. So one was with the help of those different partners, they assisted us to identify the girls, but also we did like a call where we put it on social media such that we will have the FGM survivors applying for those for the training workshop. So we had recommendation from different partners who are working with those girls. We had 20 participants, 18 of them applied. Wow. So wow. yeah, because yeah, we had 18 who applied and um, most, and then we got recommendation. So it reached a place where we had, but then again, we'll be doing like a cascading for the, for the emotional well-being, we'll be targeting 100 survivors. So those who didn't join the, the co-creation workshop will have an opportunity also to experience the same. So those are the two ways that we were able to uh, select the participants. Wow. How can people around the world support the work that you're doing? And I ask that carefully because sometimes, like how you <laughs> talked about it being such a part of your culture, I'm always cautious, right? When you're an outsider coming in saying, how can we help you stop <laughs> doing something in your community? But to support the work that you were doing, what are some ways that people can respectfully get involved or get behind you in, in this kind of work? So uh, I'll say one is that um, we need uh, more advocacy that is being projected globally. 
when you come up with those stories, you want them to be projected, like for people to understand that it's actually a human rights violation. At times when I give the story, it will be obvious, but having more people coming in and joining the campaign and uh, profiling it at a different level and even coming to the community mm -hmm. and just telling them it's so wrong, then that can actually create more impact. We also need more resources of the, at the same time mm -hmm. in terms of funding, because where I come from, the county is very vast. Right. And uh, what we're doing with our Youth Excel is a project that will be ending in September. And maybe we'll only have reached like 100 survivors. We will need to mm -hmm. reach more. Right. But with the limitation of the resources that we are having, we'll not be able to uh, reach more. But we will try within the means that we are. So maybe having just them, let them come to Narrow County. Let them, let them see a different, a different aspect, a different culture that can be embraced as well as uh, just letting them know that education, the other things that can be done other than the FGM. Hmm. Catherine, if people want to know more about Afi Africa, where can they go to find out more information? So you, they look for www.afiafrica.org, our organization website. Afi Africa is on social media. We are at Facebook. We are on Instagram. At the same time, we're on Twitter. It's all about health, embracing a healthy community, celebrating your whole, our core aim is just health. Ah, yeah. I see. Okay. So now we will get into the PYD recommendations. It's a fun part of the show. We use this as an opportunity for wonderful guests like yourself to kind of educate us on some of the things that you either have heard in your network that you're reading, things that you think your fellow implementers should know about. The P stands for published, Y stands for youth, and D for disrupt. The first one I wanted to ask you about was published. What is a published resource you recommend? Uh, one of the books that I would recommend, it's one of the books that is called Adolescent Sexual Reproductive Health. It was actually launched today. It's not yet even in hard copy, it's still in oh, soft wow. copy. Exclusive. Yes, yes. We're exclusive here. <laughs> yeah. So basically why the book is because one thing I realized about that book, it speaks so much about the young people in terms of how, how to manage our mental health. Uh, it talks about all the harmful cultural practices, uh, life skills among the young people. But then when you go into the book, the book has been simplified. Let's say you want to read about mental health. Mm -hmm. You just check your head and, and then you go to mental health until it's like a two-pager, but you'll actually understand so much about mental health. The information you'll get from it, easy, especially for the young people, it's easy for them to understand that it's one of the best books that I've been able to read. It has so many information about young people. Oh, wow. The second recommendation is youth, a resource or project that you know of, authored or led by a young leader that you want others to know about. I recommended a program called Emerging Leaders Foundation. It's one of the leading projects in Kenya that is being led by a young lady mm. uh, by the name Karen Wakoli. Uh, I've known her for quite a while since 2013. And by the time I was meeting her, she was really struggling on how to mentor women. And what she was doing, she was volunteering in going to universities, going to school, just mm -hmm. mentoring young girls. And she had not even such an organization. So she, every time we'll meet, she'll be like, hi, Catherine, I'm so stressed up. Uh, I, I don't know how to begin this project. But with time, the organization has grown and she started different projects in terms of governance and leadership, uh, mentorship for mm. young people across the country. 
Uh, right now, she's doing an amazing work. She's been able not only to mentor young people in Nairobi, but the larger country in terms of governance and leadership. What she does is encouraging young people to, to be engaged in a meaningful way in terms mm. of taking leadership, in terms of political, and actually not just to be used for making noise, but basically making mm. impact impact at the society. So uh, it's one of the organizations, or rather one of the projects that I'll recommend different young people to actually go to their website and see. They even have a mentorship which goes for six months where they mentor young people on different aspects. It's one of the things that I'll encourage people to go through and actually apply for different projects. Ooh, I like that. That's a good one. I love mentorship. And last but not least, we have Disrupt. I'm not so sure about that. Mm -hmm. We know guests usually give three, uh, but today's conversation was just full of so much information. We totally understand. We'll take two. Again, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. We love your PYD recommendations. Thank you so much. We'll hop into our PYD recommendations. Our first resource is from USAID's Collective Action to Reduce Gender-Based Violence. This has a number of resources from survivor-centered programming to how to respond to these harmful practices as implementers. You'll want to visit makingsense.com to learn more. When it comes to our second resource, FGM is a part of a bigger conversation about adolescent girls, their agency, violence reduction, and so much more. We don't want to minimize all it encompasses. And so I highly recommend visiting the What Works page for adolescent girls on youthpower.org. It does a really good job at giving you a bird's eye view of the way FGM intersects and affects reproductive health, human rights, confidence, cognitive and social implications. It's one of those pages you're going to want to bookmark. Our final recommendation is for those of us who say, what can I do? How can I jump in and make a difference and fight what's happening? We have something for your advocacy needs. It's a worthwhile video titled, How to Fight FGM Through Social Marketing. Essentially, this resource from PRB helps you build a credible social media campaign on FGM with the right approach to sensitivity and principles for program managers to ensure quality. It's based off of key lessons from two studies in Egypt and Sudan. You can find this and a host of other resources over at youthpower.org backslash PYD lab. As always, it's a pleasure to be with you as we have these significant conversations. Until next time, I'm Natasha and you've been in the PYD lab.